tonight I want to start reading in Joel chapter 2. And uh, this is not my main scripture, but I am going to start here. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, it's not going to be up on the screen because it's not my main scripture, but it says this. And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That's from Joel chapter 2 in the Old Testament. If we flip forward a few chapters, we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, these words. Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. No, it's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said... Oh, these words sound familiar, don't they? I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. What we just read in Acts was the fulfillment of what we read in Joel. Did you know that these events took place 400 years apart? 400 years, that's a long time to see a dream fulfilled, isn't it? That's a long time to wait on an answer to prayer. God's people, they sat in silence. They were waiting. Can you imagine having to wait that long? Well, we couldn't because we'd be dead by then. But can you imagine waiting even 40 years for an answer to prayer? Tonight, I want to talk to you about what we're going to do in the waiting. From the time the word is given till the time that it's fulfilled, what happens in that waiting, in the waiting? Bow your heads with me tonight. Lord Jesus, I just come before you tonight humbled that I can even stand here. I am fully known and fully loved by you. You've seen everything I've ever done in my past, every sin that I've ever committed, and yet you still choose to speak through me at times and use me for your glory. And I'm humbled by that tonight, God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would tonight speak through me, speak to me. And Lord, as we leave this place tonight, may we be closer to your heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Waiting can be frustrating. Seeing circumstances around us that aren't falling into place as to our plan, that can be depressing. What do we do when we have a dream or a plan or we feel like God has called us to a specific task, but that thing now seems dead or it seems to take forever to come to pass? Have you ever been there in the waiting process? Last year, my, uh, my best friend, she, she's 33, very young, got diagnosed with breast cancer. It was a hard road. But the moments that I remember being the hardest were those moments where she was waiting in between phone calls. Do I or don't I have cancer? Do I or don't I have to go and get chemotherapy? Do I or don't I have to do this? Or what test do I have to have next? And what's, what's gonna, did they get it all? Did, you know, am I gonna, and she did end up having to have a second surgery. And just the waiting, I remember talking to her, and it wasn't necessarily, the, I mean, the cancer was bad news, but it was the waiting on those answers that took a toll on her, on her emotions. The waiting. Waiting is hard Waiting is excruciating. It can be depressing. It can make us feel lost and ready to give up hope. 
but I'm so thankful for God's Word. No matter what's happening in our life, we can turn to God's Word for mentoring. This book is filled with all sorts of people who walk through circumstances just like that. Think about Joseph. He had a dream. He had a dream that he was going to be a ruler, a leader. His dream began with a pit, landed him in prison. What about David? David was anointed king by, by uh, Samuel. And then what happened? He has to wait because Saul's still alive. He's still king. And as a matter of fact, he finds himself hiding in caves, running for his life. Now, he's been promised that he's going to be king. But he's in the waiting process. And he's hiding in a cave. As a matter of fact, I was reading just the other day about a story of David in the Bible where he had actually been fighting. And I think he was fighting with the Philistines. And and they sent him back home. They said, you can't fight. The men, they don't trust you. You can't fight with us. And so they send David back home. And his men, they send him back home because they can't go back to... King Saul, because King Saul's trying to kill him. So they go back to their home and they get to their home and they realize that all their possessions and their families have been stolen and taken. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Just, just for a minute, put yourself in his shoes. Here you are standing. Let's just say you're standing at the ruins of your home. It's burned to the ground. You have no idea where your family is. You've got your men with you who have also lost everything. You know you're supposed to be king. You've been told God has anointed you king. How in the world could this be part of God's plan? I mean, when he looks at his circumstances, he had to think, God, how could your plan ever, ever, ever involve this? The Bible says that he and his men actually wept till they could weep no more. Have you been there? Have you been to a place in your life? Have you come to a point in your life where something seemed so dead and so gone that you just wept till you couldn't weep anymore? You're not alone. I'm not alone. I've been there. It's easy to look around at all that's happening and and wonder what in the world is going on. How can any of this be God's plan? Is He even still there? Is He hearing our prayers? Does He remember the dream He gave you? Have you ever thought things like that? Let's look at Habakkuk tonight. That's going to be the main text tonight because Habakkuk is our mentor in a time like this. Let me give you a little bit of of background on Habakkuk. First of all, I can't spell his name very well because every time I typed it on my computer, I had to go spell check, fix it. But Habakkuk was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. He prophesied right before the beginning of the 400 years of silence that I was talking to you about. King Josiah has just died. King Josiah was a righteous king. Uh, Pharaoh Necho has taken Josiah's son and put him in prison, put an, established another son to rule over the country there who is, who is a wicked king. So now all God's people have turned. It's so funny to me how easily they can go wishy-washy and turn from being righteous with Josiah right back to being evil with his son. And so Habakkuk is seeing all this awful behavior going on by God. And this is what we read in Habakkuk 1, verse 2 through 4. I'll give you a minute to turn there. It's right towards the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament, if you want to turn there with me. And it says this, Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. There is, therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and righteous so that justice is perverted. Sounds about like today, doesn't it? Sounds about like what we see when we walk outside these church doors, doesn't it? But I love this. I love that the Word of God is alive and active and still speaks to us today because just like Habakkuk, I too have questioned the Lord with words like, How long? Why? Look at those words. Highlight them. Underline them. How long, God? How long do I have to keep crying out for help? Why? Why are you taking so long? Why are you tolerating all this behavior? Why? He's just being honest with how he feels. Too often we try to hide our feelings from God, don't we? We want to put on our smile and go to church because we think that's what we're supposed to do and we think that's what pleases the Lord. But I would dare say that He knows our hearts anyway. Why not just be honest with Him? I believe our honesty and our openness and our brokenness. He likes that. He likes to hear that. I know I've questioned God like that before. But tonight I really don't want to focus on Habakkuk's questions. Instead, I I want to focus on how he responds to those questions. So what should our response be when we know that God has given us a dream or a future plan, but it just it doesn't seem to be unfolding? Or it maybe it is unfolding, but not at all the way we thought it would. When the waiting, we're waiting so long, and the waiting becomes overwhelming. What do we do in the waiting? If I had a title for my sermon tonight, if you're taking notes, this would be it. In the waiting. What do we do in the waiting? Let's look at Habakkuk 2 verse 1. It says this, I will climb up to my watchtower now and wait to see what the Lord will say to me and how He will answer my complaint. Complaining's easy, isn't it? Getting alone with God in a watchtower takes a little work, doesn't it? But it's time that we look at things with a different perspective. So the first thing we need to do, the first thing we need to do is get alone with God. Now, I don't know how many amens he got this morning, but I'm not feeling the love tonight, so I'm going to need a few more because I made the bulletin. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I love the picture we get here of Habakkuk. He's actually climbing a tower. You know, when we get alone with God, when, when we're down on the ground, we can only see so much around us, right? But when we climb that watchtower, when we get alone with God, what does that do to our perspective? It changes things because we're not just seeing what's immediately around us. Now we can see further out. Oh, oh, so God, this is happening because I see this over here that needs to happen in the future. So now this has to take place. Now that makes sense, God. You see, when we get alone with God, it will change our perspective. And Habakkuk actually changes his physical position. He is now high above the ground. We are told in the word that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. When we get alone with God, we can see more of his plan because our view is not just what's in front of us, but instead what's further out, what's up ahead. Justin and I, we have... um, kind of a, a bucket list, but we, we want to go to Yosemite and see the sequoias out in Yosemite National Park. Has any, have any of you ever done any research or seen any pictures of those? These trees are like massive. It takes them about 200 years to, to get to their fullest growth, I think, potential. And they're just huge. As a matter of fact, there's some of them there that are so wide, you can actually drive a car 
through the base of the tree. So we would like to eventually, when we get all those five kids out of our house, eventually go out there and see those trees. We think it'd be great because we're boring. We watched uh, hummingbirds the other day from the back deck for about an hour. So we think trees are great. (laughs) We're ready to go see them. But anyway, so these trees, they take forever to grow, and they're huge. And, And people just come, they flock year after year to come see all these trees. But about 10 years ago, one of these trees fell to the ground. And they couldn't find, figure out why. They had um, all these rangers out there, and it, it didn't appear that the tree had insect damage. It didn't appear that it had been struck by lightning or was you know, problematic from a windstorm or from a flood or anything like that. And after more research, uh, Ranger Deb Schweizer, I think is her name, did an interview with CNN, and they concluded that the reason this tree fell was because so much foot traffic over time had damaged the root system. And it damaged the roots so much that the tree just fell over and died from foot traffic, busyness, shuffling, busyness. You know what? It reminds me of us. You know, the Bible sometimes makes an illustration of us being like trees. Paul tells us to let our roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. But what do we do? We let foot traffic, busyness, get in the way of those roots and start damaging those roots. My friend Brandon Samuel, he's a preacher up north, and he said it like this. If you want, write it down because this is good. He wrote this. It's good. If you want to hear God's voice, you must first turn down the world's volume. If you want to hear God's voice, you must first turn down the world's volume. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. You see, hurry is the enemy of prayer. Hurry is the enemy of prayer. We see in the Bible, Jesus often got along with God. And He was 100% God. 100% human, 100% God. And even Steve, He still had the need to get alone with the Father and pray. You see, if we want to change our perspective, we're going to have to get along with God. We're going to have to let the busyness, all that foot traffic, get quiet, go away for a little while. Otherwise, we're damaging our roots. Otherwise, we're damaging our roots. Like the mighty sequoia, we can't let constant foot traffic, constant busyness interfere with our delicate root system. We have to get along with God so He can change our perspective. When we get along with God... How do we know it's God's voice? We look in His Word. His Word still speaks to us. Too often we want to run out and get someone's opinion. Oh, I've got this problem in my life. Let me, let me call so-and-so. I'm guilty of it. I'm not preaching to anybody but myself. I call Justin. I call my mom. I call my best friend, Tabitha. Especially if somebody's made me mad. They're the first three people I call, depending on who it is. Justin sometimes will put me in my place, so I just skip him and go to Tabitha or mom. Because I don't want to hear what he has to say. Too often, we turn to voices instead of verses. But you see, there are voices in the verses. And they're the voices that we need to listen to. Look at Hebrews 11.4. It says this, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gift. Here's what I want you to underline if you're there. Although Abel is long dead, 
He still speaks to us by his example of faith. If you're having trouble with your perspective, there's not going to be a better voice than this right here. I mean, these are God's words, inspired words given to us, for us. And it's alive and active. Don't run to voices. Run to the verses. Run to the verses. Get along with God. God wants to talk to you. He wants to answer your questions. He wants to hear the groanings of your heart. Climb your watchtower. Get a new perspective. Get along with God. What's the next thing that happened? If we look at chapter 2 and verse 2, it says this. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer in large, clear letters on a tablet so that a runner can read it and tell everyone else. So the second thing that we should do is write it down and give it feet. How do I know that Habakkuk wrote it down and gave it feet? Well, we're reading it, aren't we? He wrote it down, he gave it feet. And now it's in the Word of God. At some point, our faith has to take a first step. At some point, we have to know that faith without works is dead. If God's given you a dream... You're going to have to take a step of faith. You can't sit down on your bottom and do nothing. I mean, Justin and I decided not too long ago that we want to move. Justin's tired of driving down 280, 45 minutes a day, there and back home. Uh, Our son has started high school. Oh, my goodness. We won't even go there. And we're at a failing school where we are. And so we decided it's time to go. We have a dream, a dream to move. So what did we have to do? Paint the house, change out the carpet, clean the house. I did most of that. Put a sign in the yard. You have to take steps of faith to get where you're going. Otherwise, our house would never sell and we would not be able to move. It's practical. Practical. Sometime, not sometimes, all the time, at some point, our inspiration must take on perspiration. Write that down. That's good. Our inspiration must take on perspiration. How many of you have ever gotten your kid a toy for Christmas? Oh, they open it up on Christmas Day, and what do you read right there on those big words? Black letters. Some assembly required. Every parent's nightmare, right? Your vision comes with those same instructions. There's some assembly required. You're going to have to take some steps of faith. You're going to have to start moving in the direction of the dream God gave you. Move in that direction. Write it down. Put feet to it. About a year ago, I felt like God was wanting me to speak out more and, and do more preaching. I hate to call it that sometimes, but it does me no good to sit at home and Just wait. No, I had to start studying the scriptures. I had to start praying, God, reveal to me what you want me to speak. What do you want me to say? What are you wanting us to hear? I had to study. I've been studying for like a month for tonight. I had to put perspiration to my inspiration. Faith has to take steps. Faith has to take steps. Write it down. Put feet to it. What happens next? Let's look at verse 3. In verse 3, this is God talking. 
the Lord talking back to Habakkuk. He says this, But these things I plan will not happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, underline it, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. What was that first word? Slowly. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place and it will not be delayed. Now we're down to the hard part. Number one, we're going to get alone with God. Number two, we're going to write it down and give it feet. But number three, this is the hard part. Because this is when we're on the mountain. God's given us our vision. We see the starting point. We see the ending point. But what's in between? The gap. The waiting. I mean, he says, he tells Habakkuk, it's going to be slow. This is going to be a long process. It's not going to be instant. That is really hard for people in this day and age for sure who can pop dinner in the microwave and it be done in a minute and a half to comprehend and accept. We want everything right now. Yesterday, as a matter of fact. I mean, your new phone isn't even new the day you get it because there's already something better. We can't wait. I'll never forget standing outside uh, one of my children's church doors one day and listening to these two little boys talking. This one little boy was so excited. I mean, they're probably seven and eight years old. One of them said, I got, I got a new phone for Christmas. Well, I'm on the waiting list for the iPhone 4. Well, oh, well, my daddy's already promised me that I'm going to get the iPhone 5 when it comes out. Well, well, I was told, my daddy told me that I was getting the iPhone 8. I mean, they just like, they're making no sense, but we can't wait, can we? We can't wait for things. We can't be happy with what we got. We can't be content with where we are. Nobody likes to wait, but yet God tells us, wait all the time. All the time. Wait. Wait. We don't like the gap. We like the mountaintops, not the gap. But did you know it took 20 years for Joseph's dream to be fulfilled? 20 years. From the time he was given his dream until the time he, it was fulfilled was around 20 years. And in that 20 years, he was abandoned by his family. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about, thrown into prison, and forgotten. You see, not only is there generally a long gap between the dream we've been given and the fruition of that dream, but more often than not, there's a lot of bumps in the road on the way there. Have you ever seen that meme of... The, the stick man on the bicycle and he's at point A and over here is point B and it's a straight line and it says, my plan for my life. And then right under that it says, God's plan for my life and it's the same stick man at point A. Point B is over here but there's like a, a river and a big mountain and a rainstorm and a high wire he's got to cross. Isn't that the truth though? Amen. God's plan never looks like my plan. Ever. Ever. You know, I, I, think, I think about my, uh, my I'm just going to go ahead and call her my daughter, Valerie. She's our foster daughter right now. We're going to court in a month and I um, believe we're going to start the process for adoption for her when, on that day. But um, I think about her and all the pain that she's had to endure as a then eight-year-old child. And this past summer, we uh, were given the opportunity. I went to Thailand to do a missions trip there. And then 
my family and I and some people from our church, about 44 people from our church, got the opportunity to go to um, Montana and do a trip there, a, a summer camp for uh, Native American Indian children on, on, uh, right close to their reservation there. It's called Four Winds Camp. And so Valerie, got, we got permission. She went with us. And so we're there ministering every night to these Native American Indian children, and 90% of them are in the foster care system. And their foster care system is not like our foster care system because their government is not our government. I didn't, I, I didn't even know this, actually, till this past summer because I didn't have a very good history teacher, government and economics teacher. Oh, I hope they don't listen to this. Anyway, so I forget y'all record sometimes. But I didn't know that, like, the Native Americans, they have their own government. So they basically do whatever they want with their foster children. And we, had, we heard horror story after horror story of how their own DHR system even works there. And so here's Valerie among all these Native American Indian girls and boys who have been through the same kind of mess that she's been through. She's been through a lot. I, I'm not going to share it and I can't share it, but she's been through a lot to be only 10 years old. And when we got back from there about a month later, we did uh, Kids Week at... at Christian Life Church where we attend now and on the I think it was the second night we were talking about how God wants to has a future for us and a plan for us and wants to increase our faith and all this kind of stuff and Valerie came to the altar and I didn't pray with her but my friend the one I referred to earlier that had cancer she came down and she prayed for her so she called me a few days later and my friend Tabitha did she called me and she said I, I just I gotta tell you something she said I know you feel like a failure a lot with Valerie y'all have you'll have your issues she's got her problems and all this, she said, but she came down that night to the altar. Give me a minute. I'm going to try to keep the tears from flowing. She said, she feels like God wants her to minister to foster children when she gets older. You see, when our pain has purpose, it's easy to be in the gap. And when we have a vision of the end, when our perspective gets where it's supposed to be, when our perspective is God's perspective, then all the pain that we endure has purpose. Amen. Now, did God want all that happened to Valerie to happen? Absolutely not. But He's going to give her purpose in that pain. And what the enemy meant to harm her and destroy her, He is now going to use for His glory. And you see, if we will walk with God in the gap, yes. He will give us purpose in our pain. Yes. Yes. He will give us purpose in our pain. Galatians 6, 9 says this, So let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What did Habakkuk do in the gap? First of all, he got along with God. We talked about that. He got along with God so he could change his perspective. Then he wrote it down. Now God had told him the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take the children, my children, away. But just wait because I'm going to bring them back. It's going to be a long time, but bring them back. Habakkuk wrote down that promise. He wrote it down. He wrote down that vision so that when he was in the gap, he could do what? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. I have heard all about you, Lord. 
I am filled with all by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in the years gone by and in your anger, rem- and in your anger remember your mercy. You see, Habakkuk begins a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. As a matter of fact, that is all chapter 3 is, is Habakkuk's song of praise. Let's see how it ends. This is my favorite verse in this whole book. Verse, chapter 3, verse 17, this is how he ends his psalm. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I need to say that again because that wasn't loud enough. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make me as sure-footed as the deer and bring me safely over the mountain. You see, what Habakkuk did was he began to focus not on the circumstances, but he began to focus on the majesty of God. He began to focus on the fact that God promised, it's going to be a long time, but guess what? I'm with you and it's going to come to pass. What does, what's the first thing the Bible tells us about Joseph once he was sold into slavery? The very first verse right after he sold into slavery, Genesis 39, 2 says this, the Lord was with Joseph. He gives us that same promise in Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You see, we can make it in the gap. We can make it in the waiting when we remember that God is always with us. Always. And not only is He with us, but let's think about who is with us. The creator of the universe. The one who made all the stars and counts every one of them by name. I don't think it's a mistake that he says it that way. We always think about the stars up in the sky, and I think he does mean it that way. But what did God promise Abraham? I will make your descendants as what? The stars in the heavens. What he's saying basically there is, I made you all, and I know every one of you by name. He's not just talking about the stars in the sky. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He knows all the stars. That's you. That's you, the descendants of Abraham. That's us, even the Gentiles, because we get included, right? That's us. He knows you, and He calls you by name. You see, the Lord is with us. He put the stars in their place. He hung the moon. He tells the ocean, stop. You can't go past this line. That's who's with us. He's with us in the gaps. He's with us when we feel our lowest. He is with us. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139 verse 8, If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, look, you are already there. You see, He's with us. We can make it from the vision to the fulfillment. We can make it in the waiting when we remember who's with us. I'm going to ask for the musicians to come. And I kind of went back and forth as to whether or not I should add this last point, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a number four. And the reason I started to not use it was because it's not from Habakkuk. It's from a different story in the Bible. But 
quite honestly, this verse is really what sparked my attention on this whole topic to begin with. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn it there because I am going to do quite a bit of reading. It's several verses so that you can get the whole story. That's 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're talking about Elisha here. And it's Elisha and the woman from Shunem. And it says this in verse 8. One day Elisha went down to Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there and she invited him to eat some food. From then on, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man of God who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's make him a little room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay wherever he comes by. One day Elisha returned to Shunem and he went up to his room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman I want to speak to her. When she arrived, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her that we appreciate the kind concern she has shown us. Now ask her what we can do for her. Does she want me to put in a good word for her to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Remember, we just read in verse 8 that she was wealthy. No, my family takes care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, What can we do for her? What can we do? He suggested. She doesn't have a son. Her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as he stood in the doorway, Next year about this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she protested. Do not lie to me like that. Oh, man of God. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. We see a dream. We see the fulfillment. But let's keep reading. One day when her child was older, he went out to visit his father who was working in the, with the harvesters. Suddenly he complained, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father did what most fathers do and said, go see your mom. That, that's not going to be written in your Bible, but it's me paraphrasing. Anyway, his father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. What does the next verse say? Her dream died. Her dream died. Right there in her lap. Her dream died. She carried him up to the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival or a Sabbath. But she said, it's all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry. Don't slow down on my account unless I tell you. Now I was reading this and it was about a month ago. And I was just like, this woman waited obviously a really long time for this child. And I think had pretty much given up on the dream from what I read. Because when Elisha promises her this child, she's like, don't even play with my emotions like that. Don't toy with me. That's a big deal. That's, that's a soft spot in me. Don't do that. But she has the child. Her, her dream has come true now. But now we see years later, that dream has died. Right there in her lap, her dream has died. And as I was reading, I thought, why in the world would she, would she not tell her husband? I mean, if something happened to one of my children, the first person I would call would be my husband. 
Why in the world would she not tell him what's happened? So I go and I pull out my commentary. I begin to read. And it says this. And I don't know if this was just for me a month ago or if it's for somebody here tonight, but I felt like I should share it because it goes along with what I'm talking about. But it said this. She didn't tell her husband because she knew if she told her husband that the child was dead, he would start the burial process. Let that sink in for just a minute. She didn't want her dream to die. I don't know where you're at tonight. I know that in my own life, I've got dreams that have been birthed and seem dead. But a month ago, God told me this. Stop running and talking to people who are burying your dream. Go find the man of God who's going to breathe life back into your dreams. Because if you keep reading, that's exactly what happens. Elisha comes back to her house and breathes life back into that son that she had waited for for so long. Stop talking to people who are burying your dreams. God's given you a dream. He's given you a vision. He's told you a plan. Stop looking at your circumstances. Write down what God has promised you and wait patiently for it to be fulfilled. And don't talk to people who are going to bury that dream. You go talk to people who are going to breathe life into your dream. I had to make a tough decision not too long ago to stop letting negative people bury my dream. And I've had to run to the people who are breathing life in it. You see, God wants us to get in His Word. He wants us to be alone with Him. That will change our perspective. But He does not mean for us to do life alone. He gives us one another. So we have to be careful who we are telling our dreams to. Joseph told his dreams to the wrong people. This woman of God knew not to even tell her own husband because he would start burying her dream.